Once upon a time, there was a sad village. The village was sad because times had been tough. There wasn't a lot of money in the village, and in fact, there wasn't even a lot of food. Some people were going hungry. But the village was also sad because, well, all the villagers had become rather overwhelmed by everything. All of the bad news that was out in the world and all of the hardships of life. And they had just all sort of retracted in to themselves and no longer gathered together or helped each other out or really socialized much. It was lonely. And then one day, two travelers came to the village. They were rather ragged looking. Their clothes were dirty and patched, and they each carried a bundle with a sleeping bag, but seemingly nothing else did they own. They came to the first house, surprised that the village was so quiet, even though it was still daylight out, but no one seemed to be out and about. All the houses were closed. They went up to the first door, knocked on it, and it was opened by a very tired-looking man. The travelers asked if they could have some food, and the man simply shook his head and closed the door. They went to another house, knocked again. This time the door was opened by an older woman, who also simply said, no, there is nothing for you, I have nothing to share, and closed the door. When the travelers went to the third house, they were tired of this. So this time when they knocked on the door and it was opened by a man with children clustered around his legs, instead of asking for food, they said, we would like to make some stone soup. Could we by any chance borrow a pot and have some water? Well, the man was looking awfully doubtful about this, but the children behind him said, Papa, we want some stone soup. And so he agreed, and he brought forth a pot from the house, which they filled with water. And the travelers made a big show of looking around for the perfect stone. And then they found it, a large, smooth stone. They washed it, and they put it in the pot. They set up in the middle of the village, building a large fire, boiling the water. And then, as they were standing there around the pot of boiling water, one of the travelers said, oh no, we forgot the salt. Hey, would you run back to your house and get some salt? They asked one of the kids. And they did, they ran back and they got some salt and brought it back and put it in the soup. <laughs> mm -hmm. The water boiled for a while longer. And then one of the travelers said, you know, this stone soup looks awfully good, but I always really like garlic and onions in my soup. Do you know anyone who has garlic or onions? Well, the children did, and they went and got those villagers who brought onions and garlic for the soup. Everyone stayed to watch the water boil, smell it, and then the traveler said, huh, Potatoes would be awfully nice. Do you know anyone in town who has a potato or two that they could share? And sure enough, someone did, and they went and got that villager who brought potatoes. Next were carrots. Oh yes, we need carrots for this soup. And of course, they knew someone who had carrots and brought those. 
Strangely, a large zucchini appeared without anyone asking for it. <laughs> and that too was added to the soup. The villagers were excited to see what stone soup would taste like. They all stood around. They chatted and visited with each other while they waited and realized, my goodness, we haven't talked like this in years. When the food was done, bowls and spoons appeared, cups and things to drink, why some people brought bread to share, and everyone ate together. It was like a party. And when they turned to thank the travelers, to everyone's surprise, they were nowhere to be seen. But the village was never the same after that. Why, the people had remembered the joy of coming together. And those who could grew gardens and shared, and those who loved to cook, cooked and shared. And everyone taught the young people, and they shared both their abundance and their burdens with one another and in doing so, made one greater and the other less. It became like a legend to them. And every year, the village celebrated Stone Soup Day by repeating their shared meal, just as the travelers had inspired them to do. Both of our readings today are by the poet Mary Oliver. The first is an excerpt from her poem she wrote in four parts, titled Fourth Sign of the Zodiac, which she wrote when she was diagnosed with cancer. I know you never intended to be in this world, but you're in it all the same, so why not get started immediately? I mean, belonging to it. There is so much to admire, to weep over, and to write music and poems about. Bless the feet that take you to and fro. Bless the eyes and the listening ears. Bless the tongue and the marvel of taste. Bless touching. You could live a hundred years. It's happened or not. I am speaking from the fortunate platform of many years, none of which I think I have ever wasted. Do you need a prod? Do you need a little darkness to keep you going or get you going? Let me be urgent as a knife then and remind you of Keats, so single of purpose and thinking for a while, he had a lifetime. Our second reading from Mary Oliver is titled, When I Am Among the Trees. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me, and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself, in which I have goodness and discernment, and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. 
Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches. And they call again. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. great turning we shall learn to lead in love in this great turning we shall learn to lead in love all month long we've been singing we shall be known which mentions this great turning now this phrase has been around for more than 30 years, but has really gotten more popular in the last decade or so with the work of author and political activist David Corton and author and environmental activist Joanna Macy. The central idea of the great turning is a shift from an industrial society focused on continual growth to a civilization that is life-sustaining. An industrial society is based on extraction of resources for one-time use, which creates waste that is not usable for anything else. There is a linear process, it's a linear process, that creates piles of waste to be thrown away in the world where there is no away. A civilization that is life-sustaining is based on the natural cycles of life and death, where the waste of something is food for something else. This is a system that is based on a model where everything is connected and where the cycles of production, use, reuse, and recycling create enough for all. This essential adventure of the great turning, as Macy calls it, is based on an increased awareness that the needs of humans can be met without the exploitation of people or degradation of the earth. Macy says, we have the technical knowledge, the communication tools and material resources to grow enough food ensure clean air and water, and meet rational energy needs. The great turning is a shift from scarcity and competition to abundance and generosity. There are three dimensions of the great turning. The first is taking action to slow the degradation of the earth and all earth's beings. We shall be known by the company we keep, 
by the ones who circle round to tend these fires. This first dimension of the great turning is about buying us time. It includes actions like funding and using renewable energy resources, holding corporations accountable for illegal or unethical practices, and climate strikes to increase awareness and call for environmental justice. This step looks and sounds a lot like social action to me. It means connecting across differences based on our shared values in order to demand and support change toward justice for all. It means housing, health care, meaningful work and purpose, clean air and water, enough food for everyone. It means safety and security for all. It means enough. It is about circling round to tend the fires that are already shining bright, already sustaining us while we seek to build a new way. The second dimension of the great turning is an analysis of the structural causes of environmental degradation exploitation of people and the creation of structural alternatives to build a new way. We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth. The second dimension of the great turning envisions our future. It involves examining the hidden assumptions that we all hold in the current system and how they are connected, bringing to light and understanding our current dynamics. So one example is bringing to light the assumption that continuing and accelerated growth is possible. This assumption is based on a model of extraction and exploitation and feeds a system that impoverishes many while just a few are enriched. It uses up resources without any regard to replenishment or sustainability. And it creates waste by some while so many others are in need. A structural analysis names the underlying assumptions and offers alternatives that are based on enough for all. Sustainability, equity, and justice. This looks and sounds a lot like mission work to me. It means connecting across our differences based on shared values to plant and tend the seeds of change that we may all reap the benefits. The Center for Eco-Literacy tells us this. In countless localities, like green shoots pushing up through the rubble, new social and economic arrangements are sprouting. Not waiting for our national or state politicos to catch up with us, we are banding together, taking action in our own communities, flowing from our creativity and collaboration on behalf of life. These actions may look marginal, but they hold the seeds for the future. This step means understanding our history 
analyzing the present and envisioning a future so that we can make it happen. The final dimension of the great turning is a shift in consciousness. It is time now. It is time now that we thrive. It is time to lead ourselves into the well. The third dimension of the great turning is the creation of some foundational values that will ground and sustain any structural changes that we make, like changes in laws, policies, institutions, and missions. Making policy change is easy compared to how, how we go about changing how we think and feel and how we go about changing culture. A shift in how we think about ourselves and the world is needed in order to support any structural changes that we might make. Our grounding values must reflect how we want to relate to the earth, to this world, and how we want to relate to each other. It is a cognitive revolution where we shift our perception of reality. And it is a spiritual awakening to what is and what may be. This looks and sounds a lot like spiritual growth and spiritual deepening to me. This great turning, this shift from notions of rugged individualism and separateness to the realization of our interconnectedness is so important. Does that sound familiar? It's the seventh principle of our Unitarian Universalist principles. We covenant to affirm and promote the interconnected web of existence of which we are all a part. So here are the fundamental shifts that are required for the great turning. From wealth for a few to enough for all. This is about abundance from security based on force to security based on the quality of our relationships. This is about interconnectedness. From management based on predicting and controlling to leadership that is based on trust and building capacity for self-organizing. This is about building resilience trust, and love. And last, a shift from industrial growth, extraction, and exploitation to local sustainability. And this is about enough for all. These shifts in consciousness save us from falling into either panic or paralysis. Does that sound familiar? It does to me too. It helps us resist the temptation to either put our heads in the sand or to turn on each other looking for scapegoats on whom to vent our fear and our anger. It is time now. What a time to be alive. And what a time to be alive. 
Some of the ideas of the Great Turning were on the fringes, but as with any major social transformation and transition whose time has come, these ideas and behaviors are contagious and they catch on until at a certain point the balance tips and there is a critical mass. What was on the margins becomes mainstream. So Macy and many others assert that this great turning is already underway, although it is not recognized by everyone. It is no longer on the margins to drive an electric car or to ride the bus or to pedal a bicycle for transportation. It is no longer on the fringes to shop at stores where used items are sold, often donated items as we simplify our spaces, our living spaces, and simplify our lives. It is no longer unusual or weird to eat a plant-based diet rather than an animal-based diet. And even though the concepts and actions to support the Great Turning are more mainstream than before, it remains a possibility. It's not a prophecy. The choice is in our hands. For the past several weeks, I've met with many of you to have a conversation about what is on our minds and in our hearts as we envision together the future of OUUC. We have talked about welcome and space in the sanctuary. We've talked about generational differences and how we might bridge those. We've talked about the past and how that lives in the present. And we've talked about change. At a stewardship tea this past week, I made a comment about how fast the pace of change is and how challenging these times are. And one of our elders, George Lanning, said, Mary, they all are. George spoke from his wisdom, the wisdom of his years, about how each era thinks that it is unique and challenging to the people in it. And yes, this is quite a time to be alive. It is our time, and it is our challenge. We are planting seeds and growing love. In this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love. Learn to lead in love. We are a learning people, and that means we don't always know what is coming. We are adapting and changing to what comes our way, and it means that we don't always get it right. Learning means committing to remain in relationship even when we feel vulnerable, even when we disagree, and especially when we fail. We learn and we try again. Learning isn't just about survival, although it is important for survival, for sure. Learning is about transformation. It's about being open to the possibility that we may be very different than when we started. That we may feel the loss of things that have been important to us and that we may be totally and utterly remade, transformed. 
And this is part of the mission of our OUUC, Transforming Lives. It is in community where we explore our values, practice new skills, and then take them out into the world, transforming ourselves so that we may transform the world. And all during this transformation of ourselves and the world, we lead in love. We've been singing another song these past few months, There is a Love. We sing to our young ones as they lead to their classes every Sunday. There is a love holding me, holding us, holding all. We learn to leave it in love for ourselves, for each other, and for this amazing world. This month, we've been exploring the spiritual theme of belonging. We've explored our need and desire to belong and what true belonging really feels like. We've explored what it means to feel that we don't belong and how we can offer radical hospitality each other as an invitation to belong. We've explored the idea of community and how we invite each other into deeper relationship. And to me, the great turning is also about belonging. How we belong to this world, as Mary Oliver says how we belong to each other, and how we belong to this earth. The paradigm of the great turning speaks to me because it's an invitation to spiritually grounded justice. I imagine justice work as the exchange between the inner and the outer. We identify and clarify and deepen our values and beliefs, and then we go into the world. We live with our families and communities, and we connect with each other, and we live our purpose. Then we bring those experiences back into our awareness and learn from them, and then we go out into the world together. Will you make this gesture with me? In and out and in and out, there is a continual flow from the inner to the outer. And if you look at it, it's a figure eight on its side, which is the symbol for infinity. At its heart, the great turning is based on the infinity of abundance. It calls on the idea that the heart and spirit are infinite that the interconnected web of all existence is infinite, and if we connect to each other, and all that is from a place of love and abundance, we will find our way to enough. If we each bring to the kettle what we have to share, we will have soup. We will have enough, and all will be fed. So I invite you now into a guided meditation to experience the spiritual practice of abundance. So get comfortable where you are. Get comfortable in your chair. Feel the ground beneath you. Connect to the earth. 
feel a connection to the Mother Earth source of life. Relax your shoulders. Breathe in and breathe out. Relax your gaze or close your eyes if you are comfortable. And now bring into your mind's eye something that you are grateful for. It might be a person or another being. It might be a place or an experience. It might be an event or an item. Bring it fully into your awareness, what it looks like, sounds like, smells like, tastes like, feels like. As you hold in your awareness with love what you are grateful for, notice the feeling of gratitude within your body. Where do you feel gratitude in your body? Is it in your heart? Your chest? Your core? Your belly? Is it everywhere? And when you have located that gratitude in your body, imagine that feeling of gratitude as a delicate strand of thread that flows out of you. Imagine that strand connecting with the strand flowing out of the person next to you. And then with the other people around you. Imagine your strand of gratitude connecting with everyone in this room. Now expand your vision to imagine your strand of gratitude connecting with the strands of everyone in this neighborhood, in this city, in this state. Imagine the web of connecting threads. And now imagine your strand of gratitude connecting with threads of people around the nation, throughout this continent and around the world. Imagine the infinite web of connecting threads a web of beautiful strands all connected, begun in gratitude and held in love. Now return your awareness to your strand of gratitude and follow it back into your body, into your place of gratitude. 
And notice that feeling now. Recall what you are grateful for. Hold that feeling of gratitude in love. You might imagine or whisper a word of thanks. Breathe in, breathe out, and let us hold a moment of silence together. May we find the courage to recognize abundance in ourselves, in our community, and in this amazing world. May we find the vulnerability to open ourselves to transformation that we may help transform the world. May we recognize that we belong to each other and to this earth. May we find the capacity to plant seeds and grow love. May this be so. Blessed be, and amen.